We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Biggest takeaways from Sunday of week 17. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. Kind of a surprise, surprise episode. I woke up this morning, was really excited to talk with Sean. Messaged him. He was able to make some time. Uh, has to write an article today. I do not. I'm done with Stealing Signals. So Sean is, uh, I'll apologize on your behalf for stealing some of your time from the writing for the, for the road of his readers that are excited to see that article. But it was a very fun, very eventful week 17, and I just really want to chat with you today. So we're on. My name is Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. Find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. Uh, and with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all his work at Rotovis. Uh, I think anyone listening on January 3rd knows who we are. Sean, you had a fantastic sweat in the FFPC uh, I had an awesome time tracking that. I didn't have any huge sweats myself. Uh, the one sort of half sweat I had, we kind of wrapped up in the morning because we had Jamar Chase. It was a week 15 to 17 shootout where we were already in a big lead. And uh, the morning games went so well that I was pretty comfortably going to take that one down, which was exciting. Um, but I was, you know, itching to find something to root for because, you know, our teams weren't really contending in the big big title or anything. And you and I had talked obviously about and in order of his radio listeners i've heard you and calm talk a lot about best ball team but i was really excited to track that throughout the day it was an incredibly exciting contest became clear pretty early on that uh wrote of his writer Kano o'driscoll uh, goes by drico and on a lot of places he's a uh, active in the ship chasing community as well where i spent a lot of my time and so was also sort of rooting for him was rooting for our buddy Mike Leone as well. Leone, it became clear pretty early, 
was not going to have a great day in that contest, but it looked like Drico was the, the pretty clear favorite for a long time. You guys had this outside shot, needed some things to happen in the afternoon, needed some other things to happen. And as we sit here on Monday, it was just, it was fun to track it, but it was, it was really wild as we, to, to be sitting here on Monday and know that you guys only need about 11 points, uh, 11 and a half points from Landry tonight to take down this contest which required some fantastic things. The, the awesome game from Penny, the really great fourth quarter from Noah Fant, that which which really shrunk the gap enough to where it was going to be manageable. And then you had these two wide receiver slots that you could improve on in this best ball format. And you had Devontae Adams and Jarvis Landry left. And then Adams has an incredible Sunday night, as well as Jericho not getting a ton out of Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, who we both had, could, could have potentially increased his score and so now it's it's really tightened up. You guys had this uh, outside shot, I would say, without Chase to chase down a Burrow Chase team, but you did have Burrow, and and so you had this huge quarterback score, you know, and, and broadly not just talking about this one sweat. It was so fun for you know anyone. We obviously the Bengals have been sort of our adoptive team. We've talked about them every single week. It seems like on stealing bananas to see Burrow and to see Chase and to see. The Bengals be so good these both of these last two weeks. We were all excited last week about their pass rate, and to see it again this week was was incredible. But yeah, to, to, it, it seemed almost impossible for anyone to be able to chase down a Jamar Chase team in a best ball format as well, where you know you're going to get floor from every other spot in your lineup. I mean, I think in season long leagues, if you made some other lineup decisions that were rough and you took some zeros or some really low scores, that 55 from Chase or whatever it was, maybe didn't guarantee you a win in best ball. You know, you get those huge spike weeks. It's definitely going to lock you into a high total because you're going to have floor at most of your other spots in most cases, and that's and certainly that's what Draco got. But you guys have this really fascinating team. Uh, got a lot of points out of every spot, basically, really comfortably putting up big numbers at every spot. And so, yeah, just a really fun sweat, and I, I wanted to chat with you about it. Well, it was, it was a crazy day, right? And we talked a little bit last week on our show a little bit on lt when we had mike on and it was his team actually did well he needed a big game from george kittle that was the main thing that didn't happen that kept him from being kind of right there on the edge but a little bit different than the first three weeks of the playoffs where there were some teams that made it through and made it through on some specific performances and maybe had a decent number of dead players and you didn't really feel like the whole field was going to put up a good score you look at the rosters from this league coming in and you felt like everybody was going to put up a good score. And then when the game started and a lot of the sort of, you might say more peripheral players on some of the teams, even like a Ramondre Stevenson, for example, is putting up massive scores and you're like, yeah, it's going to take, it's going to take a big score to, to win. And, you know, we had Penny going and there was a team with DK Metcalf. And when the, the thing that really killed us was that third touchdown Metcalf, instead of going to Penny, that would have put us actually over the top and not had the deal here. The really crazy thing then is that uh, listeners obviously know how we draft our teams. And yet it's kind of crazy. It's exciting. It's borderline embarrassing that it's actually a wide receiver spot where we have to get a little bit more points here. That was the position that we had some injuries and if there was one disappointment during the week, it was that Elijah Moore didn't get activated. You kind of see what happens with Braxton Berrios in that game. And it's hard to imagine Moore not have, you know, getting some points just from the perspective of what they needed to do. But obviously everybody was dealing with that kind of thing. I was just ecstatic for Connor. I mean, he had the best team 
And you do, I mean, you like it for your own team to win. And then outside of your own team winning, you kind of like to see the best team win because, you know, the best team, they deserve to win. And I mean, his team, even without, like, obviously you get the massive chase game and you say, well, well, once that game happens, then you have the best team. But he actually had the best team overall. I mean, he, he came through with 212 points last week with Chase not doing much at all, right? And so he had a ton of different ways to win this. And once he got the massive score from Chase, you know, he's like, he just, he has so many different options. And we were lucky enough to finally go over the other Borough Chase team. And kind of what I was thinking, every time the Chase was scoring, I was just like, that's all right, because there are only three teams of Borough. You know, if he keeps putting up this huge score, there actually is going to be a gap between Borough and some of the other quarterbacks. It will be a little bit like getting an extra spot. And then if our other guys score, maybe we can finish third, which would be really cool. And, you know, you need your other guys to score, you know, so that's all contingent upon that. You're like, Burrow would at least set us up with that possibility to be able to come back and get into this position is, is very exciting. Now I have to do have to say, you know, I kind of joked last week that I was rooting for the wrong guys late in the game, rooting for CD Lamb last week, even though he was the one player who could actually have eliminated us last week. Uh, in this game, I was a little bit relieved when Justin Jefferson was scoring late. You know, I don't like to get kind of scoring spoilers. And so I wait, once I fall behind, I was giving, sending all these messages to Connor early in the day, just, you know, so exciting what his team was doing. And I'm like, when you don't hear from me now for a while, it's because I've fallen behind and kind of go radio silent. And so I don't know exactly what's going on, like who we've covered, but I know that Connor has to be out there at first. And so... If you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, if you're a Minnesota Vikings coach or teammate, or if you're someone playing fantasy and you needed the Vikings guys to score, I think you've got to be kind of frustrated with Kirk Cousins, right? Because as soon as this game started, it was very obvious. Number one, that Cook was probably not exactly right, which, you know, some of these guys who who did get sick have had to deal with that a little bit. But the, even if he had been, the, the limitations that this offense was going to have were so extreme that suddenly you're into this situation where it doesn't seem like Cook or Jefferson are going to score hardly any points. And then, you know, I'm like, I don't know where we are, but if Connor loses because Jefferson doesn't score any points, I would be so frustrated for him. So I was re relieved when Jefferson did get some points in there. And now, of course, you know, Jefferson's in his lineup and, you know, those last several catches, that last catch is kind of funny, really does shift it into a almost 50-50 here for you know what what it comes out with so so i was rooting for jefferson i'm glad that he had a decent game for connor we'll see now if landry can come through but then from a more global perspective how about the Bengals? right i mean the chiefs took a lead in this game they look good themselves i think that these i think the chiefs are the best team in the fc i think the packers and the chiefs are pretty clearly the two best teams in the nfl but in this home game here in an opportunity to really change the direction of their franchise and build on what they did the previous week, as opposed to, you know, so many times this season, they've seemed like they were close to breaking through and then took a step back in at least one of the cases, a huge step back where they actually looked like a flat out bad team for a two or three week stretch to build upon the previous week and to scorch a defense that had been pretty hot. Now, I mean, there were a handful of pretty borderline calls against the chiefs defense where you're like, that stuff goes uncalled on most plays. It doesn't mean it's not pass interference, but it, it does go. Uh, that potentially helped the Bengals out a little bit, but this game was what we've been looking for. Just like Last week is T. Higgins. This week is Jamar Chase. Two of the best young receivers in the NFL. Jamar Chase you know, had this massive score in 
uh, Max Spencer's wide receiver prospect model, which yeah, I believe is the best one I've seen. It really gives you a sense of like just like what the scope or what the margin is between him and the other prospects that tend to be listed as generational prospects. I mean, he was the guy who was the clear best prospect in this draft. For Joe Burrow to have those options and for have them to have looked so confused so much of the season didn't make sense to us. This game against the Chiefs, it was very clear Kansas City does have a good defense, and yet, like, where do they really go? You can't double-team all of those guys, and especially if, if Joe Mixon is looking okay as well. This is a pick-your-poison offense where the Bengals should be putting up 30-plus points every week. Yeah, and, <clears throat> I mean, we talked about this last week. To see their pass rate be so explosive last week was was very exciting, and, and they did it again. This week, I saw, you know, among the many tweets about different things that I believe these were the two highest Bengals pass rates, uh, either of the year or, or since Zach Taylor took over or Burroughs career or something like that. These past two weeks, um, they're up over 70 percent pass rate in both games. And, and you just see, you know, I mean, there's not really a lot to say other than Sean, like that we were right, because you know, I mean, I know, I know a lot of people were right, but. This is what we were begging for for a long, long time. I mean, obviously, very early in the season, we did expect him to take it a little bit slow with Burrow because he was coming off a major knee injury late November last year. It was only about nine months removed. There was reason for them to be coming along slowly, but there was that stretch you mentioned after they had started to open it up a little bit where they kind of went back to the run and, you know, Burrow seemed healthy. And it's like, you guys are going the wrong direction. You're not doing what is going to help you win games. And, and yeah, I only, I'm not saying we were right in the sense that, that, that we were right, but I, I'm saying in the sense that uh, I think listeners are, are very aware that, um, you know, people who have listened throughout the year, especially are very aware that this is what we've been, been asking for. And, 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 and probably while watching it, we're like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of them were nodding along in agreement as well as we were talking about during the year. And, and, and here we are um, seeing seeing the way that that can play out it's just uh it's something that we've almost already covered is sort of my point one of the the big keys i think has been that they have started to, to get tyler boyd involved as well which is nice i mean obviously it, it was hard enough to get both higgins and chase going chase was the the massive story here right just so incredible the first touchdown was i mean that was a highlight that was all over the place hopefully everyone has seen it um i believe he set the the rookie record for receiving yards in a game. He set the, the Bengals franchise record for receiving yards in a game. The, the first long touchdown was a catch sort of in traffic where he makes an, just an incredible sidestep and then gets the top speed so fast to run away from you know, NFL DBs. I mean, that's the kind of stuff we've talked about all year where this guy has everything. He's been able to win down the field as a deep threat, but also to have that sort of elite yak ability and, and this is again go back to to the first couple months we were talking about this where he, he felt like just in, like already an elite player from an athleticism standpoint with the ball in his hands saw that on that catch that was just so uh so exciting the way that he turned this you know stop route where he's facing back to the line of scrimmage and basically not moving in traffic with guys between him in the end zone he turned it into hey i created space with a sidestep and now I'm gone, <laughs> you know, it was just a, uh, an incredible play. And then he, and he's making, you know, leaping contested catches in the touchdown uh, in the end zone. But other than all of that stuff, saying all that aside, one of the plays that I thought was one of the, the coolest plays of the game was down in the red zone when they ran Boyd. I mean, just from a real NFL standpoint, they ran Boyd on the back line of the end zone 
I think the play before the broadcast had noted that Chase was in one-on-one. I think it was, you know, very clear that that Chase was the guy that Kansas City was going to be focused on, and they and they basically ran Boyd up over the top to the back corner of the end zone of where Chase was running sort of a front uh, of the end zone route. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, I believe they're on the same side of the field, but it was just, I thought a really sharp play call to get Boyd free in the back. I mean, you still have Tyler Boyd, you know what I mean? This is sort of the point, like the fact that they've got him going, he's had the long touchdowns the last couple of weeks. He scores again here. Uh, Higgins doesn't actually have a very big game. Obviously Higgins has been a monster the last two, but when you're, throwing this much you're apt you're, you're able to leverage the fact that you have more weapons than almost every passing game in the league i mean the fact that you can then call a play in the red zone to tyler boyd as your sort of forgotten about weapon is a major major advantage that manifests when you're throwing the ball 70 percent of the time when you're trying to be a run team and all of that you're not really pressing that advantage as much so yeah that i thought that was a an exciting element of that and Burrow had made it was very adamant, right, that he wanted Chase and not the potentially elite offensive lineman that he could work around the offensive line play, that they would build that up through the years. But if you have that trio of receivers that, I mean, you've built yourself what could be a dynasty. And now we're seeing this play out. The other thing you mentioned there, that it, it blew my mind the way he ran away from those defensive backs, right? And just it looked like they had the angle like they were going to catch him and then he accelerates and is absolutely gone and when people do the different athletic testing i mean it's, it's so much fun to track the combine all the different things before guys go in the nfl draft you know sometimes people will rise up boards because they were faster than expected fall down because they were slower a lot of those things are exaggerated because the way that your talent and skill interact along with and you know the talent and skill component is also a matter of intuition these kinds of things you know how well do you control your body how quickly does your brain process things and that makes you quicker than your time athleticism or slower based on all those kinds of things it's not just the quarterback who has to process information out there on the field that element also plays a big role but when you see some of these guys where the collegiate performance was incredible and there's reason to believe that they're a superstar based on what they've actually done and then they come out and put up these numbers and it was just very clear the previous season that jonathan taylor was a generational talent and that somehow if you missed that like the chiefs did you were making a gigantic mistake it was very clear with chase as well and we've seen that play out so many times for both of these guys this year where if you have the four three speed then you can pull away and the difference between a 40-yard game and a 60-yard game with a touchdown on the end of it that's huge for fantasy right i mean those 40-yard gains you put those out there a handful of times those are big plays that's five points for a receiver just like that but the 60 yards and a touchdown, I mean, you're talking about a 13-point play. And when you're talking about Jonathan Taylor, I mean, he's been held in check a little bit the last couple of weeks, but it's almost like the floor results that we're seeing are still pretty crazy. But we know what that ceiling is because those long touchdowns are potentially there. The speed for these guys, I mean, it's been fun to track this season and fortunately to have exposure to these players. But it's been fun to watch them play from a reality perspective. You mentioned the chase, obviously, the big story. And, you know, kind of going through the road of his screener and pulling up some of the best individual playoff scores, you know, this century. And Chase, I think, has has the top one. I've got Terrell Owens in here with a 54.8. Drew Bennett, which is a name that many people may not be familiar with, with a 53.3. Brandon Marshall at 53. Uh, we've got about... Can I just say, Drew Bennett had one of the greatest, what was it, like three-game stretches 
in fantasy history. I mean, or maybe it was five games, but one of those years, it was for the Titans, right, where Drew Bennett was just incredible first. He couldn't stop Drew Bennett. I don't even necessarily think he was a wide receiver. He was the guy. I, I mean, elite athletes can do this kind of thing. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that, that well, speaking for myself, that, that I could do. I mean, I can, if I train for a year, it would be very difficult. But, I mean, supposedly Drew Bennett just, like, saw a marathon going by his house or, like, the starting line was just down the road. And, you know, he got up that morning and said, why not? And ran that, no problem. So, I mean, Drew Bennett, <laughs> someone who is a little bit different. I can't run to my mailbox, Josh. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, I played a little bit of tennis a couple of days ago. And it's like, after about 45 minutes, but let's stop before the injuries happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Drew Bennett, a name that is is back there. I'm sorry to keep cutting you off, but I just looked it up. This is this is what Drew Bennett did in weeks 13, 14, and 15, right? Leading into the fantasy playoffs and into the first two rounds of the fantasy playoffs in 20, 2004. And he had was in some lineups because he had had the three games prior. He had 11, 11, six targets. He had 148-yard touchdown and one touchdown game back in week 10. Some people were playing him. Week 13, he goes three for 124 and three touchdowns. Then week 14 in the first round of the playoffs, he goes 12, 233, and three. And then week 15, he goes 13, 160, and two. He has eight touchdowns over a three week stretch, catches 28 balls for 500 plus yards. And then in the championship week, he had two catches for 26 yards and no touchdowns. So some people lost their championships after he absolutely carried them there, but basically did nothing else the rest of his career. But eight touchdowns in three games. Shout out Drew Ben. Yes, 94 points in a two-game stretch there is not something you're going to see very often, even from Jamar Chase. (laughs) (laughs) Then when we get back from the break here, we'll look at some of the other big trends and individual performances that really dictated what was a fun and topsy-turvy 2021 fantasy playoffs and Week 17 championship. Colin Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, Ben, one of the things that always comes up in discussions of how you need to put your team together is that you need to have that foundation running back for the fantasy playoffs because those guys give you the most upside at playoff time. Now, this isn't to say that a given year of not having that would disprove that in any way, but it's also a thing where the fact that we've had some of these seasons in the past certainly didn't mean that that was the only way that you could win or that teams were going to definitively win this way forever. One of the things that we did see this year is that if you had a Jonathan Taylor, and that was you know what we were fortunate enough to have with our best ball team here, and then added some of the top zero RB candidates, you know, like a Rashad Penny, uh, like a Sony Michelle who's on Connor's team, like a Devin Singletary, who's a guy I've always liked, and it was really very difficult to ever figure out how he was going to score fantasy points, and then somehow in the last two or three weeks, he and the Bills figured it out. You put those guys together, that gives you a path. You wouldn't necessarily have to have Jonathan Taylor. You could have elite wide receivers, uh, which unfortunately we didn't have outside of Devontae Adams. But this is a great year to have kind of Taylor and then anybody, any other sort of elite player early, and then have your team built out with the right structure, right? So it's not necessarily a thing that the first round, the second round, we know there are a lot of injuries up there early with those guys. But to look at the numbers for the overall playoffs here are pretty crazy because wide receivers definitely trumped the running backs this season. The running backs that did come through over the three-week stretch, you have Penny and Singletary at the top, which again, you know, pretty hard to fathom there. And then, you know, yeah, if you wanted to be running back heavy and hit on the right wide receiver, you could do that because Detroit and Amon Ross St. Brown really come through there at the top. But you do have some of the other big names, the guys who have carried all season in Devontae Adams, a huge postseason, Cooper Cup, a big postseason, even without maybe the massive standout game. Jamar Chase, based on just the one game there, Debo comes through even with Trey Lance in at QB. That was a, a beautiful strike that will hopefully uh, be something we see a lot in the future. And then also Mark Andrews. And so this was a season where it didn't just work because of the full structure to have the zero RB and to have the elite tight end. But these guys were very clearly the stars of the fantasy playoffs in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, it's a good opportunity to bring up another team that I saw and was, was following a little bit uh, yesterday, which is Dalton Cates, who does some writing for um, Apex Fantasy Leagues. Our buddy, it's, it's uh, I always get his last name right or wrong, but Mike, it's Brody, I think is how you, you say it. Mike Brody, maybe? Does the, the Apex Fantasy Leagues. We, we've talked about them a lot. I know you're uh, very familiar. Dalton does some writing for them. And he had one of my favorite teams this year. He He's in 19th right now as of Monday. He's out of players, has the you know the, the possibility of falling back a little bit. But in the in the FFPC main event, he, he built out a team that wound up looking a lot like, sort of like the ideal version of, you know, what I, I think, Sean, uh, a team that you and I could have 
could have landed on a lot of a lot of the guys certainly that that we had in other spots uh it's, it was a taylor swift team it had kelsey and then it had the burrow chase higgins double stack with justin jefferson it looks like he played darnell mooney this week i know he had some other receivers as well but like that that was just like a, a really fun sort of you know ideal structure the young receivers rookies and second year receivers um got the burrow in there that that we had on almost all of our teams and the Taylor Swift combination was obviously just a fantastic combination to have in the, you know, the, the one, two turn or in second round for Taylor. And then the fourth round for Swift. And in a lot of cases, it was really great to get those two running backs in those spots that, I mean, yeah, that was a structure. Like, like I said, he's in the top 20 overall, he's not going to be able to take it down or anything that the, the, the champion teams do typically have Taylor. A lot of them, have Andrew. I think the overall winner is going to have Andrews. Obviously, Cooper Cup was a was a key. Dio Samuel, uh, the overall the overall winner, it looks like on FFPC is a Burrow Chase team with Tyreek Cup, Debo Andrews, and it has Jonathan Taylor and Javante Williams, another guy obviously that we loved in those early rounds. I mean, these are these are teams that certainly look like teams that um, we would have said were great drafts in, in August. Is the way that I would frame it. Again, I, I mean. It's always difficult to be like, oh yeah, we were right, and and, and not sound like uh, you know sound quite quite arrogant. But um, these are all guys that we had exposure to across our teams. Well, and you think about some of these teams that are right there. We're, we're in a, a league where um, one of our league mates, I think, is going to lose a major contest by just one point, and has. Tyreek Hill. So, I mean, you think about some of these teams and, and almost the flukiness. Now, again, top wide receivers can have a dud at a key time, just like a top running back can. And you, you have to take that into account. It's very frustrating if you had Tyreek Hill this week or the, over the last two weeks. It's just been pretty devastating, really. But even some of the Tyreek Hill teams, even with those, Ben, just as you're saying, they're right there at the top. Yeah, absolutely. The flip side of this, I mean, there's certainly an element where it's like you can look at this and say that structure. I mean, all these teams we're talking about are, especially when they're Taylor Swift or even Taylor Javante, they're they're they do look a lot like modified zero RB teams, but there's a little bit more running back capital there, and they also typically feature an elite tight end. But that's also something, again, to be fair, we talked a lot about doing. We had a lot of teams that look like this from a draft perspective in terms of capital allocated, and then it was very important to be taking a lot of receivers in the dead zone. I bring this up because you can look at the season and say, you just kind of need to be on the right players. Any structure could have worked, especially because of some of the absolute best receivers talking most specifically about Cooper cup. And you just mentioned how Hill didn't really crush down the stretch, but cup and chase were mid round receivers. So if you went running back heavy, you could have still landed on those guys and had a very good build. I think the lessons of structure were even more important though this year. And in the sense that, these were slight modifications from, you know, the strictest, maybe zero R, I mean, maybe even more than slight modifications from the strictest zero RB structures that we're talking about, but also it's the types of players that we were talking about in all of these ranges, right? And I think that's the kind of the key that I want to drive home. The true upside players, the, the first time breakouts, the guys like Jonathan Taylor, who didn't necessarily project as great as you'd like, but we're basically saying could be the next superstar. Jamar Chase could be the next superstar um and then even you know hill wasn't great down the stretch but the fact that you guys had adams here 
it fits into that structure. You had that wide receiver ceiling from an early pick in a zero RB build. I love your guys' best ball team, and I want to dig into that even a little bit more. But even you know Justin Jefferson for Drico's team and for Dalton's team showed that ceiling enough times throughout the year. And you mentioned with Tyreek as well, even though they weren't the playoff hammers necessarily uh, and Jefferson this week uh, and, and Hill over the last couple, but they were – those those teams relative to how those receivers performed were represented in the in the in these you know these really high end teams at a, at a higher rate. Maybe it's just because I'm looking at the teams that look a lot like our teams. I don't know, but well, I just uh, I think everything you're saying is correct there. That you need to have the structure. There are different ways to play the structure out, but you have to be on the right types of players overall. We talked a little bit with Leonie last week about how his team was so powerful in part because he'd given himself the chance to hit on all those wide receivers by taking a lot of them. And then when you do hit on all of them, like he did with Adams and Cup and Debo, then you get into this situation where he's in the final 12. And Mike's obviously awesome at it. I, I, this is just another good time, I think, to mention Connor's team, not just from the fact that it did well, but structurally, he and his co-manager, Joey Zanetti, they drafted just an astonishingly good team. Right. And that you go through and you look at everything that they did. I mean, I'm partial to it because it hits on everything we talk about in the best ball workshop and is so backed up by the data and all the things that we know consistently year after year will allow you to win in best ball and really have win rates that are well above what people can do just by picking players. And picking players is always going to be a crucial element of it. And it's something that you and I don't ignore. And that's one of the things I think you were just mentioning there. But when you do that with the structure, that's how you're going to have consecutive good seasons. That's going to be how you come through year after year. And you're not going to always win big, but you're going to feel good about the teams that you have and you know, enjoy the season being in those situations. But Connor's team here, right, it's put up over 400 points combined the last two weeks. And that's with Dalvin Cook not being in the lineup either time. You're talking about a player who was the consensus 102 doesn't factor in either time, and he puts up over 400 points. I mean, that's how well-constructed the team was overall. Yeah, it's incredible. And another team I want to shout out real quick is Peter Overzet and Eric Bime for his best ball team that had a nice sweat for the $1 million, uh over on Underdog that I was tracking a little bit. It was a true zero RB team. Fantastic to watch their success. They had Rashad Penny in the afternoon window. Didn't quite get as much as they needed, but I think they're going to finish top 10, if I'm not mistaken, and have a nice little score there. Um, it was another Chase team. Obviously, you need Chase to, to do that well. But it was a it was a full zero RB team. And, you know, it, it's uh, that that structure could certainly have worked this year. <laughs> um, I mean, more than more than could have worked. It, it was a it was a very positive year for zero RB. Pete's, Pete's had some awesome zero RB teams in underdog and. I know that he, I mean, he's one of the best zero RB drafters in the world. And so it's no surprise to see him coming through there with that kind of team. Always exciting to see him do well as one of our absolute favorite people. Curtis Patrick also had a fantastic team that finished. I don't know what the exact numbers were in the end. I know a, a big, or just even a few more points from Devontae Adams in the second half. We're going to move him into that top 20, top 25 range. So I don't know where he's going to finish since obviously Adams only had a couple of catches there. But, you know, to have a another, you know, main Rotoviz drafter score, you know, near the top of that contest, 
I mean, just even to get into the final 160 is just insane. So, and I was just going to say that. So the, the different contests are kind of hard to follow. Probably that one was 160 teams in the final. So finishing top 25, fantastic achievement for Curtis, um, or even anywhere near there. Um, even just making the final 160, that was a massive tournament. Like I said, a million dollars to first place in that one. The FFPC, you guys are were were and are on, on Monday night playing for a hundred thousand dollar first prize. There's only twelve people in the final, which is kind of fun. Is a little bit more, a, a little bit more. What's the word? Intimate. Intimate is the word I'm looking for. There you go. A little bit more intimate. Uh, twelve teams competing, but I want to talk about your team more. And I know we've already done this a ton, but uh, and maybe the listeners don't like it. Maybe maybe they do. I don't. I don't really care because I want to talk about it. No, no, I, I don't mean that at all. I mean I think the listeners like that that we talk about stuff that that we find interesting. Um, you discussed earlier that is almost a little bit embarrassing that what you needed was wide receiver points. That's what I love about this so much because it is it shows how you guys were willing to be flexible to the lessons of basically of zero RB and how everything's evolved. But you mentioned the best ball workshop and all those things. And so one of the things you guys did, you've written about this for several years now, the two QBs in that QB window, you hit on Burrow and Rogers. You didn't spend a ton of draft capital on QB where the opportunity cost is a little higher, but you gave yourself legitimate upside at QB in two spots and you stuck for only two. A lot of people took three QBs in this contest and, and looked up that you had to have that right. Rogers was huge in the playoffs as well. I, mean, I guess Burrow's been huge both of these last two weeks, but Rodgers has been massive, and you had the Rodgers-Adams stack that yeah, was he very had a big key. Week 15. What's that? He had a big week, week 15 for us. Week 15. And then you also hit the two pretty elite tight ends and stopped there. And that's something else you've talked about a lot in the best ball workshop. You went with Andrews and Fant. You didn't go all the way to the very top group because you did have a Jonathan Taylor build here. But part of the reason you didn't have quite as much wide receiver upside on this team is because you were hitting some of these other lessons that are specific to best ball. And I think it's interesting you were saying this, you know, a little bit embarrassing or whatever about not having the wide receiver upside, but you did get both tight ends into the lineup. And one of the big reasons you guys started to close this gap, even without Chase, was Noah Fant closing really strongly and getting both Andrews and Fant into this tight end premium lineup, getting a tight end into the flex. That's something you've talked a ton about over the years. And I mean, I, I think of the tight ends as very similar to the wide receivers. When you're going zero RB, obviously – an elite tight end factors in and in best ball, it can be a couple of the top eight tight ends like you guys did. And it showed, you know, it showed this week what that upside can mean was very key. And then along with Taylor as the anchor, you guys took a lot of shots in the later rounds at running back. And it wound up giving you a lot of running back upside before Fant exploded late in the afternoon window. Chuba Hubbard had already scored and put up 15.8 points and was in your other flex spot for a long time. And it was looking like you were going to need a little bit more out of Adams and Landry to fill those wide receiver spots. But one of the things you and I talked about off the air last week was, you know, what your what your chances were. You were like, give it to me straight, Ben. What what do you think? And I was kind of telling you, I I don't know how much upside's on this team. I think you were a little more optimistic. I, I obviously, I um, you know, I, I was still seeing some of what you were seeing, but the penny thirty pointer, Singletary twenty three. Uh, Taylor gets 18 and you had a Hubbard there at 15 point. You also had Javante Williams. And so you had these five backs that had the potential for double digit points. It was kind of clear that the way that this team had played out with Elijah Moore getting hurt and Rondale never really breaking out. Deami Brown, not really being a factor and KJ Haler getting hurt a long time ago. A lot of the types of receiver shots you wanted to take, you still made sure to get that receiver depth, but it's so fascinating that even when the wide receivers didn't pan out and you played the wide receivers, the way you want to play them, you guys had done so well to build QB upside while only using 
two roster spots on it, tight end and upside while only using two roster spots on it, and the right types of zero RB running back shots where, I mean, you also have Gio Bernard and David Johnson on this team who are guys who didn't score any points this week, but you still had enough running backs there that you had real late season upside at running back that could fill the flexes. That was going to be a key to this. You got it with Penny. You got it with Singletary. Some of that upside got it with uh, Taylor, you know, not, not really his upside, but still getting 18 points there is very helpful. And then Hubbard was going to be that other flex until Fant ends up even outscoring him and Hubbard winds up being a, a bench score for you guys. This is a team that on paper, you look at Gio and you look at David Johnson and, and Elijah Moore and Rondale being out and KJ Hamler being out. And I was looking at it when we were talking last week and saying, it feels like you need so many things to go right. Cause there's a lot of players here that aren't probably going to score points this week. And yet you have Chuba Hubbard on your bench for 15.8 points. Um, you had Javante Williams on your bench scoring only 4.2. Javante Williams obviously had 20-point upside. You know, we've seen that from him several times. I just think the the structure and the ways that even though this team on draft day, and you would have been the first to say it, was thin at wide receiver, it wound up maximizing the upside of the roster and still sort of staying true to the to the philosophies you were just making a lot of adjustments as you went in a way that like people would look at this and go this is nothing like a zero rb team and i i mean i get that it's not really the point the point is if you want to start thinking next level for people who are just being introduced to zero rb this year and there's always new people picking up new stuff and listening to this podcast and, and i i've heard so much just in the last day so many people are so excited they won their, their titles and um, obviously we're, we're so grateful you guys listened to us all year. They, Sean, I, I haven't told you this yet, but so many people are, are talking to me. We've joked all year about how people tell me things to tell you. So many are telling me to pass on to you, um, how grateful they are for the, all the things that you wrote and everything that Rotoviz did. And then everything we talked about on our pod and, and, and obviously, um, being that they're talking to me, they're, they're also mentioning my Substack as well, which is, um, shout out quick, quick plug, shout out to the Substack, But, um, this team, I, I get these feed, the, the feedback, and and it's this isn't a zero RB, RB team. It's nothing like it. And I, I just really wanted to emphasize how, at least I don't know to me, for somebody who's done this for so many years now, that this is very uh, philosophically similar. You guys didn't get the receiver depth you wanted, but to sacrifice that receiver depth, you did it intelligently at every spot. You, there was a reason you took the two tight ends where you did. There's a reason you took the two QBs where you did. All those decisions gave up the receiver depth, but you weren't using unnecessary capital at running back. And then late rounds, you could have continued to take more receiver flyers and been a little bit more top heavier at receiver, but it was important to you guys to get the zero RB targets at running back. And that ended up panning out in a way where, yeah, you didn't have the receiver upside. It was really fascinating through the afternoon window that the, the receivers that were in your lineup were DJ Moore, who I had told you last week when we talked, I felt like it was the key. You needed that ceiling game out of DJ Moore. I was so excited because uh, I always am about DJ Moore. He didn't get it. He only had 5.9 points. And Deami Brown, who had 3.5. Those are the two receivers in your lineup. And, and you had Adams on Sunday night and you had Landry on Monday night. Hoping to improve on those numbers. Obviously, that with those being low scores and it being best ball, there was a lot of room to improve. And so that was, you know, just sort of structurally in terms of the way that this, this contest played out an exciting thing for you guys to potentially make up a lot of points and Adams having the 30 point game. And now Landry having the potential to add to your total by only scoring 11 because you're replacing DJ Moore's 5.9 in your lineup. Those are really um, kind of fun, you know, just asides in the way that it played out to add to the sweat and all of those things. But I just, I, I thought this was such a fascinating team 
from a structure perspective. I thought that you guys followed everything that we've talked about in a way that people who are who have not paid attention to the ground floor lessons from zero RB are going to look at this and say, this is nothing to do with zero RB. This is a, you know, a fraud team, whatever. Like we get those types of, those types of feedback all the time. The people who are kind of operating in good faith and want to learn more about this though, and especially the ones that have just started down sort of the zero RB path. This is the type of team I really want to emphasize, especially um, knowing the format, knowing that it's best ball and making some adjustments where you guys sacrificed wide receiver upside, you did it intelligently and you built strongly in a way that the overall roster had so much firepower still. And it's such a good build that you are potentially going to win this contest over a team that got uh, Jamar Chase 55 points out of it in a best ball format. I mean, that is an incredible feat. It's such a testament to the way that this roster was structured, even without the wide receiver firepower. I mean, it, it, it uh, it's a it's a really fun team and a tremendous accomplishment by you guys. Well, thank you. It's really cool to hear you say those things, and especially about the the Stealing Bananas community and the Roto Business Stealing Signals communities, which I love and I definitely appreciate those interactions, even if sometimes they're by proxy. And I appreciate you being kind of that for me in some of these occasions. It, yeah. I think all those things that you said there are true. And I, and if people want to say that it has nothing to do with your RB, that's also okay. The main thing would just be then if you don't think it does, you know, read the best ball workshop and you don't have to, you can call it whatever you want, but the best ball workshop has a lot of great information about how to build these teams. And one of the things that I love and love to give some credit here too, to Mike Beers, who built so many of these tools that we have Mike's running away with the MFL 10 of death this season, which is no surprise since he is the best ball guru of all gurus. And it, but if you go through those things, if you go through the RV tools, if you go through the best ball workshop, one of the things that I try and make sure that I do and that we try and make sure we talk about as we have these discussions, you and I, when we have them on OT, when we have them uh, within the greater road of this community are just that there are multiple paths but there are different structures and there are different sort of foundational elements that you do want to incorporate. And so wherever you get your pick and however your draft unfolds, make sure you understand how you need to react to stay within structures that work really well. You mentioned the QB window, you mentioned the tight end element. One of the things that we've been asked from time to time is why we took so many running backs if we had Jonathan Taylor. And one of the things I do notice that actually the roster construction explorer really likes that pick if you've waited until the double digit rounds to take, you know, your third running back. And some people are going to say, well, you know, the third running back in round 10 or 11, that's hardly zero RB. And again, that's, that's fine. But we're talking about how we want to have those first 10 rounds structured, but then you come back with a lot of running backs, even if you have a stud, right? Because you don't know if you're going to get in a situation like Connor had, we're actually going to try and win without him. You want your team to be good enough that it could win without your first round pick, right? But then the other thing is just, in these 12 to 16 areas, I mean, our last running back selection was Rashad Penny, who was the number one scorer, at, at least in, in some formats, in the fantasy playoffs. And if we don't make that pick, then obviously we're not having this discussion, right? If we take a wide receiver who's a flyer, now, I mean, Rashad Penny in many ways is a flyer too, but when we're talking about how do guys get onto the zero RB list and why does that list work so well every season? I mean, number one, it's got quite a few players on it. Right. And so some people who would say, well, I mean, you're listing a lot of guys, you're going to get hits. That's definitely true as well. But again, that's, that goes back to there are a lot of guys that you can spread your picks among in this range 
And if you have the right profiles and mix some of the profiles, then you have teams that are going to be exactly what you want as you go along. And good fortune always plays in, right? If Penny has this stretch in a different time of the season, then obviously Leonard Fournette and Cordero Patterson have really been the big guys this year. They weren't the guys down the stretch, and that can be unfortunate for those teams, obviously. I mean, there was a team in the, in the final 12 that had Derrick Henry, right? You know, so you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, what would that team have been like? Now, actually, what would have happened is probably would have been identical because Henry would have had to have a massive score to pull it through. But, I mean, you want to build a team that you could win without Derrick Henry, and if you have him, then obviously you also get all those points. Now, if he had stayed healthy, there would have been many more teams with Derrick Henry there. So being healthy and not being healthy, that obviously makes a difference. But the idea here is that we want to put together these teams that regardless of what you encounter within your draft, they still are structured in such a way that you have a really good chance. And but for me, it comes back to those last two picks. I just I thought KJ Handler was going to score so many points that we wouldn't need any other wide receivers. Yeah, Uh, we had him on it. I think you joked that you had him on every single team. We had him on all our teams together. Um, I wouldn't surprise me if every one of the dozens and dozens and maybe hundreds of teams that you drafted had KJ Hamler. Um, So, yeah, pretty funny that he is uh, that this team is where it is without such a superstar pick in the in the last rounds playing much all year. But I love that comment you made about wanting to build a team that can win even without the first round pick. I mean, I think that is uh, a really concise way of putting it. You can go any direction in the first round is ultimately what it comes down to. We're not saying you can't take running backs in the first round. We've, we've covered that, you know, every way possible. You can take a tight end in the first round. I mean, you should take a quarterback in the first round, but you can certainly take receivers in the first round as well. But I guess that's really the, the crux of it is regardless almost of who you take in the first round, your first round pick just has to be a superstar you still want to build a really smart team in addition to that. And you guys did that. You still had uh, the running back depth ultimately was the key. And and in those later rounds, as you talked about, the running backs are the better picks. They're the ones that can do what Rashad Penny did. You're not going to find wide receivers in the later rounds that are going to do what Rashad Penny did. That's why we take so many in the early rounds, but you guys had to sacrifice that early depth. And ultimately you didn't then try to chase that with a whole bunch of flyer receivers you just said we have to be right on the receivers we took in the early rounds, and you weren't even that right on them, to be clear. DJ Moore, my guy. Then should we have taken some other than DJ Moore there? Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it would have been nice to have a better pick than DJ Moore there. Uh, Devonte Adams was fantastic, but Jarvis and Landry, you know, Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore was great for a stretch. Deami Brown, KJ Hamler, again, that's your entire wide receiver room. Not, not a lot there, but you guys essentially decided that the picks that were going to continue to make this roster better into those late rounds were not to chase that wide receiver uh, decision that you had already sacrificed in the early rounds, but rather to continue to try to make the picks that were going to make the team the overall team as, as good as possible. And that was in the later rounds running backs. That was Rashad Penny, Devin Singletary, Chuba Hubbard, who was helpful at times throughout this year. Um, and even the ones that didn't work, Gio Bernard and David Johnson, they fit that structure Everything you did here philosophically, again, like you said it, you know, if people don't want to think of it as your RP, they don't have to. It doesn't really matter. But it is a testament, I think, to being willing to then adjust to all of the sort of first line uh, tenants of zero RB that we talk about and modified zero RB and all this stuff, being able to be flexible then understanding what it is you're getting out of a zero RB structure and what it is you're getting out of hitting the wide receivers in the early rounds and why 
all of this matters and why we're targeting the positions we're targeting in the areas of the drafts that we're that we're doing. And when you understand all of that, you look at this roster and you say, it is a weird team, but I get it. And this is how it can play out positively. I mean, it's not a comfortable build. Even last week as it was in the championship and you were asking me, how does this team win? I'm sitting there telling you, I, you know, I like your chances. Obviously, I like all these players, but you're going to need a, a few things to happen. And, and look, they happened. And they happened in a way that, I don't know, it's just so fascinating to me because, uh, again, you're looking at like Draco's team was very good, got at least 11.8 out of every lineup spot, got the monster Jamar Chase game, got, a, uh, got you know, had Devin Singletary as you guys did as well. Unfortunately for him, did not get any other 20-point games, but a lot of points in the teens and had a very solid build all the way throughout and put up 197 points. I mean, a, a great week, right? But you guys, even without that 55-point score, you have so many 20-point games in this lineup because you took the, the picks in every round that could produce that type of score. It's just a it's a, it's a fantastic build, and, and uh, it was fun to watch this whole contest play out. And, and the biggest reason I want to get on here and talk with you about it uh, today, you know, hopefully I didn't ramble on about it too much, and people kind of get that message, but I think it, it really is a testament to being willing, number one, to understand the tenets of the structure and then understand why, why and how you can make smart, flexible decisions off of it. Because that's what you're going to have to do to modify for your league settings. With the most questions we get every draft season, and Sean, we talked about this, we did a whole bonus episode on Zero RB this year about it, is how do I how do I switch it over to my super flex league? How do I switch it over to my half PPR league, how do I switch over to my league where I can only start two receivers and flex one so I only have three total receivers? How do I uh, switch it over to a league where I don't have to start a tight end because we do wide receiver tight end uh, hybrid positions? Um, you know, there's so many formats in fantasy football. And so that's the question we get constantly. Hey, I love this idea, but how do I switch it to, to fit my settings? you got to understand these tenants. This is a great example of how Sean and Blair and Colm went and took those tenants and switched it over to fit this specific best ball contest using the lessons from the best ball workshop. How does best ball change it? Here's how we're changing it. What are we sacrificing? Okay, now we're sacrificing wide receiver upside. But what do we do and what do we not do once we've made that decision to sacrifice that? Yeah, just, just a really fun teaching tool, this team, I think. Well, it's been, it's been fun. We'll see what happens tonight. We... Appreciate, as you mentioned, all those notes coming in. I, we weren't perfect. We'll never be perfect. Uh, we try and get better from our mistakes. We do feel like this was a good season for the Rotoviz and Stealing Signals communities. We feel like it was a good, it was at least a very fun season, if nothing else, for Stealing Bananas, but I think a very good season. And we're excited to bring you a ton more content in 2022. It's been a blast to get on and do this special bonus episode. One of the best ways you can get these bonus ones when we put them out is to subscribe to the feed. You'll get them as soon as they release that way. I just want to give a big good luck tonight to Connor and Joey. I want to mention my gratitude to Colum and Blair, great fantasy minds, and two people I really enjoyed doing this contest with. Ben, it's been so fun to do all the leagues with you this year and uh, next year going to be even better. We had, we had some great results of our own and I just enjoyed those teams so much. So we'll cut it there today, but we'll be excited to be back with you again a little bit later this week. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretchen. Definitely get in there and subscribe to Stealing Signals. I know Ben has some cool off-season content planned for you. Uh, you can save 
at Rotoviz if you want to log in and get some of that great info from Matt Spencer, Travis May, all of the guys doing incredible work on the prospects as we move into dynasty and prospect season here. The coupon code is RV Radio 2021. We'll just check with Dave Cabin, who runs uh, that element for us, a uh, host of the flagship show. And see if you want, leave us a, a rating and review. If you've already done that, and again, you guys have been just more than we could ever have expected with this. But if you want to leave another one, just uh, go in and refresh that a little bit. It helps us with the algorithm. If you have a game tonight, and so many of you do, good luck. Take home the championship. Get what you need out of the Browns. Let's see, there's hopefully this will be a very fun game to finish out the 2021 fantasy calendar. And love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.